there's 7,777, there's about 3,100 owners of those devils. And there's a third of those who are active within our Discord community who have taken the time to go and authenticate and come into that space. So that's over a thousand people. The dialogue between those, it feels like a really intimate community. Welcome back to the Sporting Crypto Podcast, where we talk to leaders in sport about their Web3 journeys. In this episode, I'm joined by Ronan Joyce, who is the Director of Digital Innovation at Manchester United. Ronan, welcome to the show. Hey, Pat. Thank you very much for having me. Big fan of the podcasts, the newsletter. So it's great to be here with you. Excited for it? I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm loving the setup here. It's, it's feeling very slick and excited to get stuck in. Why don't you begin by telling the audience a little bit about your focus right now. What does it mean to be the Director of Digital Innovation at Manchester United? Yeah, so look, I mean, I can, for us, it all kind of starts with the fan experience. So I actually sit in a team called Digital Products and Experiences, and it kind of covers every facet of the direct-to-fan relationship that the club has. Because, you know, as you know, like, you know, we have a big relationship with fans through broadcasters, through the ticketing piece, et cetera. But how do we kind of have that actual engagement and touch point with them on a day-to-day basis. And that covers everything across numerous different business lines, from our e-commerce to our membership to the way we build the app to the way all our marketing works, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm very focused on how do we bring new technologies to the fore? How can we do that in a way that kind of gives fans something they haven't had previously? So broadly speaking, that kind of covers two areas, like Web3 and how that may work. And obviously, there's a lot of crossover, the metaverse, virtual reality experiences, augmented reality experiences, what can we do more with gaming, those kind of areas, all really designed to, I guess, be that uplift of an experience for a fan and give them something that is an iteration on from what's previously been delivered from a club to a fan. What is some of your energy being focused on right now, more specifically within those two verticals? Yeah, I mean, within the Web3 space, we have a partnership with Tezos. They're the club's official blockchain. They have the license to distribute, if you like, our, our NFTs. So very focused on the roadmap for that and how we can deliver. I guess for us, it's the next form of digital memorabilia. Again, goes back to that piece of how do we improve experiences if in the past it was a ticket stub or you know still very relevant today, a match day program. How do you iterate that? make it available online and have all the benefits the blockchain technology can bring. So that's kind of one big focus. And another focus is I sit down with a lot of companies that come to us with ideas, not many of which we don't take forward, and many of them are super ambitious in great ways. We want to make the right decision, but how can we create, you know how it works in football, right? There's only 76,000 people who can come to Old Trafford every week. How do we get closer to those fans, more immersive experiences? So looking at lots of proposals there and hoping that we, you know, find the right avenue to go. Web3, crypto, what sparked your personal interest there? And then where did you start crossing over professionally with that? To be honest, the personal interest started in those kind of conversations with friends, right? I have a lot of mates who work in finance. I have a lot of mates who just have kind of that broader tech interest. And, you know, with my background being a meta and, you know, lots of engineers and people who kind of think differently, they were all looking at 
I suppose, the concept of this rather than like, not necessarily I'm going here and I'm investing, but like, have you seen this under layer is going to be the future, so on and so forth. And then I had friends really getting into chilies and lots of different, loads of areas that people were starting to jump into too. For me personally, the, the one that resonated most, and it's probably sounding like a cliche, you've heard it before, but was Top Shot, right? NBA Top Shot, I'm a big basketball fan. You know, the fact that you could own a piece you could actually have a dunk, you know, the big Zion Williams one that went for however much, right? That was like a a moment for me that kind of said, wow, I kind of see that people are seeing value in this. Quite quickly, I moved on from the idea of like, well, you can see this on the internet. Why would I Why would I purchase it into a piece of, I actually get to own this. Isn't that pretty cool? Are the use cases for me as a, a, a big basketball fan, as a football fan, as a rugby fan? And how can that involve? So that's kind of when the, I don't say the penny dropped, but when I really started to say, okay, there could be something really interesting here personally. And then over time, through some of my work with with colleagues at Meta, I started to kind of see more of the use cases, what some of the teams were working on, some of the projects they were building for places like Instagram. And I got more into it professionally, which which led to my role at Manchester United. The Top Shot thing is really interesting. I remember probably two years ago now talking about Top Shot a lot and people being like, Do you own the rights to the video? No. It's like having a Panini card. You don't have the image rights to Gary Lineker, but you might have a Panini sticker that has his face on it and you own that sticker. You can do whatever you want with it. You can trade it, sell it, burn it, throw it in the bin, put it in your collection. It's the same thing, just videos instead of the cards. And then people are like, aha, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's it really. Like ultimately the fact that you can, it it just takes that into the digital world, doesn't it? And then you talk about, everything being trackable and, you know, the provenance. And then you throw in an added aspect of the rarity. Oh, I'm one of X amount of people who have this, which takes it on a level from your, you know, your traditional trading car where you don't quite know. And that just gives it that extra flavor. So yeah, that was a resonance moment for me. And yeah, again, just just a big basketball fan. So personally, it was like, okay, how can I get involved and uh, learn a little bit more? You mentioned your time at Meta. Why don't we delve into that journey up until now, what's been your background up until this point? I started my career in kind of the consulting strategic communications world and worked for a couple of different agencies there. Did lots of different things, but always kind of had a touch towards sport. I mean, I I did a lot of stuff with Ford around their sponsorship of the Champions League. I spent quite a bit of time around the London 2012 Paralympic Games looking to kind of engage actually a lot of the local community and explain the benefits as to why the games coming to London, like how that would help. And I actually live in East London, as we were talking about before. So I'm a beneficiary of things like the Olympic Park through to this day, which is pretty cool. And through that work, I started working with Facebook from a kind of consulting perspective. And then in 2015, I moved in-house into what was kind of a nascent and growing media partnerships team which kind of divided into news, entertainment and sports. And I was brought in to be one of the kind of key sports people around the time where Facebook and Instagram were starting to look at the platforms less as just a place where you posted photos into something where you could consume content. So my role then was to work with leagues, broadcasters, teams and athletes and say, okay, this is a platform where you know, you're not just going to be in touch with your friends, but there's kind of a community out there who wish to follow you, who wish to engage with your content. And these are the ways in which you can, you know, engage those people, benefit you, grow your own kind of personal relationship with your fans. And I guess for the first time, kind of go more directly to them than through the more traditional linear means. 
And how long were you at Meta until? Uh, I was there until 2022. So I was there for seven and a half years. So you obviously saw, I know, a big company, but taking over Oculus, trying to go for the Libra launch in, in 2019 as well. So I guess you've had the exposure to the two verticals you mentioned, like anything blockchain related and Metaverse for a long time now. Yeah, and, and I suppose the blockchain related stuff was more a personal interest that would have conversations with teams where I could internally. You obviously mentioned Oculus and Quest and the journey towards the metaverse. In my last 12 months there, that was very much part of my work. We were out there almost painting a picture as to what could come in the future, talking about the use cases within sport, talking about how we might get there, and then working with partners to, you know, simple stuff like how do you add on augmented reality features on Instagram for jerseys and kits, right, which benefits clubs to this day. So you kind of starting to kind of seed and then, you know, there was quite a bit of work with Horizon Worlds, which is Meta's you know, virtual world experience environment, which I think, you know, is kind of maybe gone a little bit away from the mainstream, but will likely come back as they diversify it away from virtual reality headsets into kind of accessible via mobile and, and more mass scale channels. But there was a lot of work in that time to kind of get the sports industry to dip their toes in and hopefully the fruition of that will come in, in years to come. Joining Manchester United... Had there been a lot of activity on the Web3 front from the club prior to your arrival, or were you the instigator there? I won't claim to be the, the only the sole instigator. No, I, I came in and there was a bunch of work that had already been done. Um, we have a, a central strategy team that kind of evaluate, trying, I guess, to use that classic phrase, kind of uh, skates work towards where the puck is going. So they're kind of looking ahead into the future, what you know, situation should we become and how can we improve the experience of the fan? Where would it benefit us as a business as well? So they'd done a bunch of work and there were a couple of people already hired kind of more in the creative space and we'd worked with a, a couple of consultancies who'd given some advice. So I kind of came in, had, you know, the kind of big decks and PowerPoints full of lots of information. And I suppose my role at the time when I came in was to digest it, look at the roadmap that had been put forward and relatively quickly say, did that make sense? You know, the environment was changing. This was summer into autumn 2022. So things were changing within the market and we were building towards our first kind of real launch. So wanted to make sure that we did that in a smooth way that was mindful of the conditions at the time. Let's talk about that first launch. Why don't you give us a A to Z on what it was and, and how it was brought to life? Yeah, so we launched our first digital collectible, The Key, which was free in December 2022. But the, the journey kind of starts a little bit before that. So I'll, I'll just jump back. Um, the 2022-23 football season was a little bit unique from a club perspective. There was a World Cup thrown within the middle of it, which kind of was a bit wow, but created a big opportunity for us. So in the run-up to the end of the first part of the Premier League season, I think it was around the 14th of November, we announced that we would be doing this for the first time and we launched on Discord simultaneously. So that was our opportunity to get our fan base, the education, the tools, all the kind of stuff that a traditional football fan might not necessarily be across, get them to be able to digest that, get them to jump into Discord, see what this is, you know, a bit of a unique user experience. You've got to really spend your time getting to know it. And through that period, about a month, we built a community, we listened to them, we gave them the little pieces within the roadmap that they could kind of contribute to as well. We explained what the utility would be when we launched. Again, we took feedback. There was this kind of constant dialogue um, and we rolled out a series of what I think were quite 
to the point, if you like, educational materials that try to simplify this as much as possible. I mean, I know this is a big debate. I've heard it being talked about, um, you know, in the stuff that you do, Pat. Do we just simplify? Do we, do we not talk about the Web3 space behind it? And I feel like we found a good middle ground. We do talk about wallets. We want to be clear what the proposition is, but we don't go deep into you know aspects of crypto that fans don't necessarily need to know. We focus on digital collectibles and that kind of core message. So we did all that through about a one-month period, galvanized the fan base, and then we launched the key. Um, there were three types of key. There was the classic key, which was 10 of 11. There was the rare key, which was one in 11. And then there were five ultra rare keys that were kind of dangled as your golden ticket within there. And um, there were 888,000 claims. So huge, I kind of went beyond their expectations. And that was the club's first, the free, the historic moment, which then led us on to our next collection, which was the Devils. And how many wallets were opened on the Tezos chain because of that activation? Round about 200,000 that we could track. But I know through other sources, like you know, people maybe reactivating wallets and a few other different areas, the number may have been a lot higher. But my sense was of those 888,000, a lot of people were coming into the space. That's pretty interesting. We had Max from McLaren come on. He was saying similar things, like a lot of first-time users, I think, and a lot of free drops. I think 100 Thieves did one where they gave away this championship chain that had kind of similar-ish numbers, actually. And I actually know some people that minted something for the first time because of that. So I, I do think those kind of free activations are, are really powerful from that perspective. You folks obviously went on to do a pay drop that sold out really quickly. I think it was a, a £30 fee. That kind of freemium model made sense in retrospect, I suppose. Again, you do have to be sensitive when you're going into this area with your fans. So for us, making sure the first one was free and there was no barrier to entry was really important. And it also allowed us to, I guess, if, if we're going to go out with a lot of educational material and push videos and have players explaining this, that and the other, there wants to be kind of a culmination at the end of it. We were conscious that as we built that community, we also wanted to build one that was paid for because that gives another layer, a deeper form of engagement. And it also gives you an opportunity to do a little bit more with that base. So we launched the Devils, 7,777 unique generative art PFP collection. No devil was the same. They all had different traits. You know how it works. You stick it into the big machine, it spews out what they are. You didn't know which devil you were going to get. And as you say, we sold them at £30 each. If you had a specific type of key, if you had the rare key, you got access early. Then you had the regular key got access, and then we opened it up to the broader community. And then we sold them out just over 72 hours from the initial launch. Pretty good going. Yeah, look, we were super excited. You know, we did it in the kind of run-up to the Christmas period, just as football was returning. So the whole idea was that we would kind of this new community, this space, these unique characters, we wanted them to kind of all be invested in that, that festive football season. So um, yeah, it went well. We were happy with it. And for Manchester United, you know, mental math, 7,000 times 30 pounds, not a huge amount of money. The reason for doing something paid was it seeing the conversion from this kind of on-chain free network that you'd created. It's all learning, honestly. Like, again, I don't want to sound cliche and, and echo kind of some of what the industry is saying now. And, you know, perhaps people are saying that now as the, the market changes and it's kind of, you don't want to be coming after the facts. But we didn't know. Like, we didn't know what the right price point to go. We did lots of research. We tried to work it out. What we wanted to do was compare it to the average thing that you might as a fan go in and purchase in the megastore. So £30 felt about right, didn't feel completely out of joint with the kind of 
challenges that people have in a cost of living crisis and, and everything else. But we did want to have a test and we did want to create something that had a value because we know people are excited about that as well. In the run up to the free drop, you folks obviously, I think I'm right in saying, built a Discord community for a fairly long time. What was the idea behind that strategy and how successful did it, did it turn out to be? The idea behind the strategy was to create not just a broadcast relationship, but to create a two-way community relationship. Um, I'd spent plenty of time on Discord before this launch, but I've spent a lot more time in there since the Manchester United Discord server was established. And to see the level of dialogue, the sheer volume of messages that take place between fans uh, and the relationships that are built up within there is really powerful. We have about 93,000 members of our Discord server, um, which I think is the largest in football. It's growing. We want to use that community, like I say, to have that two-way piece. It also ties in, as you know, very nicely with, with an NFT project, right? You're able to create gated communities in a way that other platforms don't necessarily offer, which allows you to segment and which allows people who are invested in one particular area to have that kind of group and that conversation. And our devils that you mentioned, that's probably the most powerful example we have. There's 7,777, there's about 3,100 owners of those devils. And there's a third of those who are active within our Discord community who have taken the time to go and authenticate and come into that space. So that's over a thousand people. The dialogue between those, it feels like a really intimate community. We've actually hit the like nine month mark as to when that community's existed. And yeah, it was just yesterday that you can see kind of the celebration among them. And a lot of people go back to talking about communities being the most powerful part of this project. What has it been like managing that Discord and developing it and going from a few thousand to 90,000? The amount of moderators you need, the amount of censorship, I guess, you need, depending on what happens. And also trying to, you, you mentioned skating to, the, to where the puck is going, trying to figure out how you actively engage those communities as well. Yeah, it's definitely something you need a real strategic plan for. And the volume and the need for steering the community, the volume, I suppose, of messages that means you need like a really sophisticated moderation strategy perhaps surprised me. That being said, I would say the vast, vast majority of the conversation is really positive. The community is very good at self-policing. And the moderators have become very much a part of the community in a vibrant way themselves. Some of them are Manchester United fans, some of them are not. They have a quite open and honest dialogue with the community within that. There's one really powerful story we love that one of the moderators is called Rose. Our Devil PFP collection, several of them have a Rose within it. It's actually a nod. There's a number of features within the Devils that nod back to areas of Manchester United's history. The Rose was featured on one of the first shirts that the club ever had because she's called Rose and because she was so great at steering the community. A number of the other Devil owners put in money together and bought her a devil oh, wow. with the rose on. Yeah. And, you know, she loved it. And it's just a real show of the sense of community that happens there. So you need a really robust strategy, but the trade-off and the benefit and the kind of community love that comes out of it has been worth it. Why do you think there's so much demand for that kind of synchronous conversation within, I guess, a walled garden that has some integration features, as you mentioned, via NFTs, gated communities, etc. We were talking offline about kind of Facebook 10 years ago, Facebook now, and X five years ago, and X now. Have you seen, because of the way those other platforms have developed, 
that there is, and you mentioned direct to consumer, that big buzzword over the last three years in sport. Discord feels like maybe an underutilized strategy for a lot of sports teams. Yeah, look, I think a lot of it goes back to the tradition within football way before even, you know, Facebook existed, right? Like people love to have that pub water cooler conversation. We love to debate. Do you want to play Rashford down the left or play him down the middle? Where do you get the best out of Bruno? Mason Mount's joined, where should he play, right? These kind of conversations. And I kind of feel like forums took that place for a while. And then some of the other social platforms started to be a place for them. But perhaps there wasn't always a natural fit. Spent quite a lot of time when I was at Facebook looking at groups, worked with a number of of the clubs, Arsenal, your club. We worked with them at one time on on kind of creating a, a Facebook group community for more of that dialogue. And it worked well, but I think Discord takes it to another level. There's that space that people can kind of really debate and talk in real time. The excitement in the build-up to a Manchester United match is is huge. And there's always going to be the need for a space where you can just have that constant dialogue and you can share your immediate experience with fans. And as the other platforms have changed and algorithms get different and there isn't necessarily the space to do that, I think Discord does offer a good space. And also because that sometimes can lead to so much noise, gating off different communities to have not kind of small group chats, that's what you'll do on WhatsApp with your friends or whatever, but maybe that middle ground where there's a slightly larger audience with a shared interest, that's where I think Discord comes into its own. Two really key things, I think. Like One, the ability to have that very fast feedback loop into the development of your Web3 strategy, your direct-to-consumer strategies is super important. But two, and I don't know if you've decided this or not, probably not, but like the test you did on the paid side is obviously interesting and driving revenue. But again, as we mentioned, probably a drop in the ocean to someone like Manchester United compared to the almost virality of that kind of free drop and getting new people on this kind of on-chain network of a fan. I do wonder if three years down the line, there's a half million people, a million people in that Discord. And actually the digital asset side of things is used as an incentivization mechanism to continue engaging within that hub which is something I haven't really thought about as much as maybe I should have. But now hearing us talk about this, I was kind of like, I don't know how much money they'll Manchester United will make from NFTs. It could be a lot. It could be not that much down the road. But what is clear is like the development of that direct consumer, direct fan audience, which is growing and really engaged. The ability to use like on-chain assets and engagement tools to kind of facilitate and stir up that conversation, debate and engagement is really interesting. I agree. You know, there's so many themes that overlap here, right? Like one of those themes is this area of fan art, right? Like that's something that the devils is a real kind of key and core part of. But another area is how do you engage the next generation of fans? That's a question that lots of football clubs have. So to your kind of point of does the direct revenue out of this, is that going to lead to you know, being huge millions and millions, who knows, potentially depends on this space. But even if that's not the case, there's an inherent value in finding new ways. It all goes back to that point I made before about the best fan experience, which is the real driver here. If you create a fantastic fan experience, you improve the relationship with the club, you potentially reach a younger audience. That's when the kind of commercial side of it will follow thereafter. There's lots of other ways from broadcasting to sponsorship that a football club will make money. 
the best route to have good success with those things is to have a relationship with the fans that's positive. How do you create that positive relationship by creating these great experiences? What have been your main learnings from that journey with that initial launch? I mean, we've had a lot of people on the show where they've been like, oh, where do I start? You know, from a tax compliance perspective, from a strategy perspective, from a, is the art right perspective? Like what have been some of the biggest challenges and hurdles you faced that were things that you thought weren't going to take that long, a couple of days work that turned into a couple of weeks? Yeah, I'm not super technical, right? In terms of the engineering side of things. So that was a big eye opener for me. Luckily, we work with Tezos. They're ultimately managing the kind of the back end and how people go through the payment process. But one big learning was to simplify that as much as possible. You know, we didn't even have the conversation of this just being purchasable within with, with Tez only. Like Fiat was there from the very start. We wanted to make this user journey simple. We've put a lot of thought into that user journey, but that took time, right? If you look at the site that we had available for the Devil's launch relative to what we have available now for Collect United, I think we're in a much slicker place. So I would say everything from the kind of tech deep engineering side through to the user experience, the user interface, that's been a big learning along the way. Beyond that, I think community expectation and management is critical. And I'd anticipated that, but maybe again, not to the same extent. So for example, when we launched the Devils, one of the pieces of utility was that we were going to have a program thereafter related to Manchester United fixtures. So the whole idea is if Manchester United roar, so too do the Devils, right? So if there's success on the pitch and Manchester United win, each Devil holder receives a reward to commemorate that game that has just happened. And that's a program that we rolled out last season. But getting that right, ready, available to launch and finding the facility to drop that to the wallets of the 7,777 took a bit longer than we'd expected. So we went from launch in December to it was actually the Carabao Cup final, which was the end of February, the first time that we delivered that. And we had a community who were really excited and that excitement led to frustration because we weren't able to deliver straight away. So that was a learning for me that you've really got to manage expectations. We talked a lot about bringing Ask Me Anythings with players. We did that really early on. We did a great one with Scott McTominay. All of a sudden fans were expecting that that would be something that would come all the time. And as you know, you know, the schedule of footballers, the kind of rigor of the season fixtures every few days, that's quite hard to do. So we've had to put a few guardrails around that as well. So it's strange, like there's definitely been some stuff on the technical side. I, you know, I remember hearing Mark from the ATP kind of explaining like, yeah, where does the money go? We didn't have those problems so much, but what we did have was we have some fantastic, excited fans. We really want to deliver for them. It's not going to be an immediate delivery. How do we manage that? And how do we make sure it's a net positive for everyone overall? You mentioned Collect United, which is your kind of secondary activation campaign, let's call it, from a Web3 perspective. Do you want to explain to the audience what it is? Yes, yeah, so Collect United is every time Manchester United play at home, men's or women's team, in the league or European competition, you can go to the site 48 hours before kickoff up until the match itself, and you can claim a collectible related to that game. Each is unique artwork designed by our kind of lead illustrator with photo imagery built into it, all kind of themed back to the broader style that I think we've built up quite well over the last nine, 12 months. Touches upon our devils, but it's kind of slightly different. 
And it's kind of your version, if you're that global international fan, and fans locally too, don't get me wrong, of the match day program. And, you know, you're going to be seeing some stuff in this, or we're going to market it much more broadly in the coming weeks on the stadium, various different bits and pieces, which we're super excited about. But what we'd just like to do for people is say, hey, this is something you can collect. You can build a collection in the same way you've done with numerous other facets and perhaps have done with real world match programs as well, physical programs, I should say. There's an incentive program built into that to reward fans. If you collect all the league matches over the course of the season, you have the opportunity to go and watch Manchester United train. If you collect all of the European matches, you have the opportunity to win signed memorabilia. And if you collect everything, you are entered into the ballot for a VIP match day experience and the chance to come to Old Trafford, sit within a box, meet legends, do the whole kind of walk around the dressing room, that really positive experience as well. So we'll also have kind of surprise and delights throughout the season without giving everything away totally. If you collect perhaps, let's say, all Champions League group fixtures, we'll probably offer a little competition or prize there as well. If you collect certain matches where you know, United win three games 2-0, then there'll be an opportunity for you to enter into a prize draw here. So there's lots of different reasons beyond just the collection piece. But first and foremost, we want this to be a really easy route to, yeah, as I said at the start, be the next iteration of digital memorabilia. How well has it gone so far? It's been good. I think one of the challenges we have is that huge number that we had at the start kind of masks everything, right? If you have over 800,000 claims, then there's always that expectation that you deliver huge numbers. But we had just shy of 50,000 for the most recent match at home to Forest, going and claim them. There's a tighter window for these. It's a broader collection over the course of the season. And it's not that kind of first ever collectible, which was kind of the message that we had around the keys. But I'm hoping to kind of scale that over the course of the season. It feels like we have a really strong base. It feels like these fans kind of want to invest in the club over the course of the season. So pretty happy with, with how it's going. I should add that this is the pre-match program. We also certainly haven't forgotten about our, our devils. So post-match, if you're a devil owner, a broader, we, we call this Collect United Devil Rewards. If United win at home, you receive another token, which essentially outlines you know, the score, the victory, a new piece of creative artwork. But then we have lots of different areas related to your traits. So if you're a devil owner who's a blue devil owner and the goalkeeper keeps a clean sheet, you receive a specific token related to that. If you have a trident in your devil and Manchester United score a hat-trick within a particular game, if a player scores a hat-trick, you receive a new creative related to that too. And these are all great because they have you know specific rarities within them, less people receive those in the full collection. And what we did last season, and we'll do something similar this year, is we do kind of an ultimate collector's piece, whereas if you claim everything at the end of the year, you get bonus prizes. So what it really leads to is kind of excitement, fans talking to one another, hey, you know, can I trade you this for this so that I can complete my collection? And that all leads back to that piece around community. So there's a kind of broader narrative at play within this, all goes back to that fan experience, but Collect United in its different guises is, is I guess, really designed to, to galvanise that. What was the thinking behind the, the strategy on Collect United, obviously? Was it a nod to, hey, that first free drop we did was so exciting and so successful. Let's double down on that because that worked really well. It was a nod towards the fact that we want to reduce the barrier to entry for people as much as possible. We're very proud of the devils and the facts that we were able to sell out that collection at a £30 price point. But for us, it's about something so much broader. And we've got to take a step back. And remember, we're still so early in this Web3 journey. 
sometimes we can kind of kid ourselves. We're like, we, we put out all this great stuff. This huge number of people claims we've got the big Discord numbers. There's so many fans who still probably don't fully understand what an NFT is, what the word Web3 means. And we can't expect that every fan has seen every piece of content that we've published or, you know, the stories that we've told or the way the players have contributed to the content. So what we've tried to do with Collect United is take a step back, go back to the fans around a match day experience. And we're really hoping to build this into, you know, this is my match day experience. I'm going to go to the Manchester United app, make the predictions as to who's going to be within the starting lineup, predict the score. I'm going to go to collectibles.manunited.com, claim my digital collectible. Then I'm going to call my mate and have that chat, you know, around that particular piece. So we're trying to build it into the match day. But the whole thinking is, you know, could we make some money from this in the short term by selling these for a price? Of course, of course we could. But we'd much rather reduce the barrier to entry, bring more people into the space. That benefits our existing community because there's more people to talk to. And hopefully it sets us up for future success. Before we move on to part two, where we talk about the future a little bit more, I need to remind you that this show is supported by the HBAR Foundation. The most beloved sports fans understand that what fans want is simple, a reason to be passionate. The HBAR Foundation enables brands and fans to share their passion on-chain using the Hedera network, the most used sustainable enterprise-grade DLT for the decentralized economy. Visit linkedin.com slash company slash HBAR Foundation to learn more and get the latest HBAR Foundation and Hedera Network news. Welcome back to part two, where we talk a little bit more about the future of sport and Web3. And the first question I've got for you, Ronan, what is it like running Web3 at a sports brand as big as Manchester United, but one that's also publicly listed. It's great. No challenges? <laughs> no, it's really it's really good fun. I, look, I think you always have to be mindful when you work at a big brands of the kind of messages you put out, the way you approach a market, making sure that you're sensitive to, you know, whatever's going on in the pitch at that particular time and whatever the fans' concerns are, etc. What what I would say is we've had really good buy-in internally. I think there's a lot of belief in the potential for this technology longer term. I mentioned to you before, we have a number of teams who are kind of looking ahead as to, you know, skate where the puck is going. And, you know, for a little while now, they've seen this as an opportunity space, right? This is really cool technology. It underpins, you know, it has that provenance, that rarity, all the great stuff that we talk about. And also, you know, potentially it has the ability to form the foundation of other aspects of our club over the course of time. So there's not been there's not been much of a blocker. Definitely helps that we have Tezos as a sponsor because you know they're bringing expertise. And you know, of course, if you're a football club, you want to make sure that you're working in harmony with your sponsors. So that works really nicely as well. But but even beyond that, I think there's just been a great sense of uh, excitement for what the opportunity could be, and that was there since I've come in, and it's it's kind of grown since then. Has there been pushback from fans? I mean, you, you, one of my questions was going to be, has there been pushback internally? But you clearly have a, a great uh, mandate to go and do a lot of really interesting things. On the fan front, when you're going direct to consumer, has there been a lot of like, ah, oh, this crypto thing again, blah, blah, blah? We've been very clear from the start. We see this as an exciting opportunity to come in if you wish to as the next form of memorabilia, bringing this into the digital space and potentially opening up more opportunities down the line. But we've also been very comfortable with saying to fans, we know this isn't for everyone. And if that's not for, for you, there's plenty of other areas and ways you can engage with the club on. What have some of those conversations been like? 
it's kind of just been explaining our plans and what we wish to do and just being as honest as we possibly can. We have kind of a department that works with the fans on a regular basis, like locally, globally, the number of supporters clubs that we have around the world. We actually had a number of them come to Old Trafford at the end of the season, meet a number of our NFT community, and some of them actually got to play on the pitch at Old Trafford as well. Experiences like that and showcasing to some of our supporters groups the opportunities that Web3 can give to the broader fan base is a great way to do it because, you know, you're essentially showing rather than telling. Um, but those conversations have, have been positive, like, and, and we listen. You know, if, if, if there's feedback about a specific route we're going that they think we should change, then we're all ears. Has there ever been feedback from fans that have led you to kind of tweaking or changing your strategy or propositions? Yeah, we've been listening throughout and there's been feedback certainly around like some of the rewards and, and what they should be. So a really good example is Collects United Devil Rewards. Last season, we had quite a formulaic template where we tweaked certain aspects every time based on hand-drawn illustration, but we didn't have any photos or imagery from that particular game in there. This season, we're changing that. We're taking the, the rewards that come that people can now, they used to get airdrop, they can now go and collect them. They're going to look fundamentally different. And a lot of that is based upon the feedback from the community itself. But there's been lots of little pieces over the time. We we did a collection in the summer, a historic one based on 92-93, which was 30 years since the club won its first Premier League. And that included physical rewards that went out and the fans kind of helped direct us in terms of the type of print they wanted, what size it should be, just simple things like that. But we listened to the community and we delivered through as a result. On uh, Discord, we run regular town halls, right, where we have questions coming from the community and that kind of presses us and takes us in certain directions. So uh, there's lots of different ways, lots of little ways. I do try to say to the fans, we, we can't take everything on board and completely tweak and change the roadmap. We do have kind of a vision we wish to get to, but we do want them to help us create what that vision is. And from the first campaign to the second, the learnings you mentioned from the first one, how much has it fed back into that, that Collect United second campaign? Yeah, the, the first thing is probably the messaging just making it as clear as possible what the core proposition is. Like we, we have a lot of debate around the type of language you should use. Should it be limited edition collectible? Should it be free gift for fans? Should it kind of talk a little bit more about the, the technology behind the NFT or not? So we tried to get that as clear as possible. We've also simplified when you come to the sites, which is collectibles.manunited.com, the number of steps that you need to take on the user journey. Now, someone always has to log into their wallet it's pretty seamless, probably for you or I who are quite used to it. But we know for a lot of people that isn't the case. So we've reduced the steps as much as we can, taken a couple out, while still making sure all the information is clear and is there and that we signpost towards the the kind of FAQ space and, you know, videos that explain things in a little bit more detail. But we've really just tried to streamline it and take out as many steps as possible. So we've got the past with the original Devil Collection, that the present with Collects. United, what does the future look like for Manchester United when it comes to their Web3 strategy? Yeah, I mean, Collect United will run throughout the course of the season. Is really designed to bring in your football fan who's potentially not touched this space as actively before. By doing that, we hope that there's more stuff that can come with the current squad and the players that we have. So we're looking at something involving our players, the chance to... I won't give away too much right now, but the chance to purchase something relative to each particular one of them 
build a collection around the players themselves. So that's kind of the first aspect. I consider that like another form of collectible item, which is kind of the phase we're in right now. But if you want to look a little bit further ahead, I think where do you move next? You look at other aspects of the club. So we have plenty of brand sponsors. Some of them are very popular. Some of them are really consumer focused. Are there opportunities to do collaborations with them so that, yes, it's a collector's item, but actually perhaps it unlocks a little bit more in partnership with those brands. So that's one route we may choose to go. Another route that is very open is membership, right? We have hundreds of thousands of people who are members of the club in a kind of either physical or web two, you could say, presence. Is there a way we can build Web3 into that experience so that those people can get even more and that we as a club can kind of build our connection deeper with them? So it's two-way rather than sometimes a little bit one-way as it can be in a you know a typical membership or Web2 world. After that, what I kind of call phase three, how can blockchain be built more within the club's infrastructure? There's lots of ways that that can be done, including lots of the internal processes and technology that we use day to day. Maybe the most obvious one is ticketing which then you know, really takes this to the next place. Like how many times earlier on have I mentioned that a ticket stub is kind of a classic piece of memorabilia that you wish to hold on to? What better way to make ticketing and that match-going experience permanent and living on with you than being a blockchain aspect? So that's not something we're going to do immediately. There's lots of reasons and challenges and you know, the technology that we already have, we have to make sure we integrate. But that's something theoretically that over the course of time we could get to. The kind of buzzword at the moment when it comes to Web3 brand side is, is loyalty. Everyone is looking at Starbucks, Nike, Adidas, Lufthansa and thinking, oh, you know, if those guys are looking at this thing, then maybe there's something there. I suppose where Man United is sat, you've got this big on-chain network of fans. You can leverage it and maneuver it in whichever way that might suit you or them or both and engage, incentivize participation in in numerous different ways. Is there something more holistic, larger, more ingrained in the kind of like day-to-day fan journey that connects that existing one, which is go on the website, go on YouTube, go on Twitter, whatever it may be, with the kind of microcosm community you've built of fans on Discord, alongside every other route of digital activation. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, how does what you've built extrapolate across the entire digital realm of fandom for Manchester United in a much more ingrained way? Yeah, how do we bring it all together? Look, it's it's a great question. I think I kind of nodded towards it with that piece around membership. Like, is there a way that you can perhaps as a member gain a collectible or perhaps as a member you get the option to purchase or to you know join a program that includes your your nfts and i think the future looks like bringing those pieces together it's also beneficial for us as a club right if you can better understand each individual fan if you can form a web3 space where you can kind of know the what each fan wants you know what their other preferences are you can serve them better stuff you can offer them the discounts you can make sure that they receive the content that they wish they can perhaps if they log into the app they have a different experience than someone who you know someone prefers video or someone prefers nostalgic stories or if someone prefers offers and discounts then it all ties together so i do feel that is coming i do think we have to be a little bit careful about trying to run before we can walk because there is still a journey to go. And if you ask me now, where am I going to focus my time? That stuff, which is, you know, a few years away or educating fans about kind of where we are and the benefits, I would still lean towards the education piece. But we should keep our minds on that because 
that's what this is all about. This is why it's exciting, right? This is why I love, you know, listening and reading and seeing all the stuff that people are doing because that's the future. What, what are your thoughts? <laughs> he spun it back on me. Um, I think that we've gone through this last couple of years where there's been a lot of fragmented proposition, right? We've sold features, not products, from a digital perspective when it comes to Web3. An example of that is like a NFT drop, but that in isolation can't be the product. It has to be a, a feature of an, a, a larger proposition. And now whether or not that's a, a loyalty app, a membership app that has some sort of Web3 plugin, I'm not sure. It could be, it might not be. I do think there has to be the, the kind of housing for the stuff, the digital stuff that people collect or interact with. Otherwise, it's very difficult to kind of create. I think sustainable is the wrong word because even if you have like free collectibles, the sustainability of the the kind of engagement might not be there. But I think sustainable from that perspective, also from a revenue perspective, is really interesting. How you kind of create a all-encompassing housing platform, dashboard, application, whatever it may be, that kind of glues all those pieces together. I think one of the things you mentioned there about guess knowing your fan there's obviously that well publicized spotify barcelona thing we have 300 million fans but we have data on 3 million of them and now look a public blockchain might not be the best way to manage a fan database but eventually i guess with technological advancements and layers on top of those public blockchains zero knowledge proofs and and so on and so forth and actually being able to connect the kind of web 3 and web 2 journey i do think that not in like a 1984 way, you can know that fan in a lot more intimate detail to better serve them. There's a line I'll borrow from Flex Chapman, who was on episode four from Krausehouse, where he said, there's more to being a fan than just being a customer. And I think that if you are looking at fans as numbers on a spreadsheet, or you only know 1% of them intimately enough to kind of offer them the the right perks and engagement to supercharge that fandom. It's a lot easier to create that more fan-led rather than consumer-led relationship if you have a better picture of the majority of them rather than a slice of them. I totally agree. Really simply put, you know, we put a lot of effort as a club into building out that database because it's really important, you know, the example you just gave. I think maybe there'll be two for the kind of next wave. There's going to be that okay, I have my records, my, you know, the customer's data, which obviously I have to protect. And that's paramount. And that's going to be key to, you know, rolling out all the emails and making sure we're servicing commercial partners and making sure we're selling tickets for matches or whatever the case may be. Maybe the version in Web3 is, okay, great. Now I can actually, this is a smaller subset for now. Maybe it will scale. But actually I can see that, you mentioned Starbucks. I can see that someone's a member of Starbucks And they're also a fan, you know, they follow Man United and they've got collectibles in that space or an airline or whatever the case may be. Then all of a sudden, you know more about that particular customer and the offer that you can put forward to them perhaps is more complementary to that. We're partners with, let's just take a couple, Marriott's and Paul Smith, right? If we know that our fans are particularly engaged with each of those already through Web3, can we offer an experience that encompasses a brilliant Marriott match day hotel reception followed by a discount at the local Paul Smith store. It's pretty crazy to me that that sort of thing, that digital journey and borders with the physical one of a match day going fan or a 
match watching fan is not really already interlinked. I always find that perplexing. And I feel like it is to degrees. There'll be people at my club telling me that that's already in place and it probably is to a degree, but could Web3 make it more seamless? And could it mean that even if you've not expressed your preferences in, you know, you told us, but actually within your wallet, you're publicly showcasing that you have X, Y, Z, then that's an opportunity, right? That, that's kind of where I'm thinking. Mm. It's going to be like a Web3 cookie, but not as invasive. All of this goes back to, you kind of talk about the programs and what the interface might look like, and but really it comes down to rewards, right? How can you make sure that the fan has a better experience and, and is rewarded? A really tangible example for us was if you were an ultimate collector last season, i.e. if you claimed all of the different collectibles we ran out as part of Collect United, and you had a green devil, a blue devil, and a red devil, there's about 150 people who did that. You got access to an Ask Me Anything with Bruno Fernandes, the new club captain, right? Where he revealed a lot of stuff that he hadn't necessarily revealed publicly before. So you get that front row seat, and that's the type of reward. Whatever the mechanism to make it work, we'll get there and it will evolve over time. But really it comes back to, let's make sure why are we doing this? Why are we using the technology? And it's to make sure that people have fun. There's some cool stuff for them. Let's zoom out a little bit more and wrap up with a few questions about the sports market more broadly within Web3. What are you seeing in the market at the moment that's impressing you, inspiring you? There's a lot of cool stuff out there. I quite like playing games. I think NFL Rivals is a really cool example. And it goes back to that piece and that really balance that you have to have between the two aspects. Do you try and educate people and explain what this space is? Of course, you need to do that. But do you want to remove barriers to entry so you don't talk too much about the Deep Web 3 language? I think if you can bring people into a game playing space, they can have fun, arcade style, and you get the opportunity then to, over time, you know, get your characters and invest in them and all that kind of stuff then that works well. So I, I really like what, what they're doing. That's probably like a standout example for me. I spend quite a lot of time on the Tezos chain. I think what they're doing with Dogami and that game and the fact that you can build that space in your own characters and there's that whole RPG space, I think that works really well as well. So there's just a couple of examples. Answered my next question as well, where I said, what, what are you excited about more broadly, like beyond sport? And clearly gaming, you think, could be a, a really big touch point when it comes to, to Web3. I'm interested in the Web3 gaming space because at the end of the day this idea that you are rewarded for coming back frequently and building something is you know we see that in gaming all the time again if i open the manchester united app now in the web 2 world and it recognizes that i've come back on five different days i get like bonus points and then those bonus points i can use to play a game within the man united app down the line with regarding predictions so like that's quite cool can that be built into the web 3 space so i think there's a lot there but i'd probably say I'm possibly more excited about kind of the membership piece that we we talked about before, that loyalty, that rewarding, that whole program. And ultimately, again, it's kind of how I see it evolving. We're in the kind of collector's stage right now. You're grabbing, you're getting stuff to hold it and to showcase it, and you get some rewards. Over time, how does that actually underpin a broader program? Maybe membership's not the right words that kind of deepens your relationship with the community. That's what stands out for me. And then conversely, what do you think's being overhyped at the moment something that people are being really excited about but you're like uh, i don't know if i'm as excited about it i'm quite an excitable guy so i'm not sure there's anything i can totally give in this question as much um you're not going to give me a hot take 
I would say getting too carried away that things are going to lead ultimately immediately to fruition is the biggest danger, right? We've seen that with the market and the you know people selling things for huge prices and expecting that to continue. We've also seen it in the other area that I kind of look after, right? The metaverse space and where we're going to grow there. So I still think there's huge potential for that. But if you go back two years ago, people perhaps thought that was going to absolutely fly off the shelves. We're anticipating perhaps an Apple headset imminently. Took a little bit longer to come, was a higher price point. It's going to be more of a build for developers. You know, what Meta's doing with the Quest 3 is going to be really interesting, lower price point. We talked earlier about Horizon Worlds and, you know, that rolling out, Roblox, Fortnite, the ability to access these not through immersive experiences, but through more traditional devices. Scaling that for now, seeing that grow, and maybe holding back the kind of full immersive a little bit longer is probably the way to go. So I don't know if it's a hot take for what's not working, but I think I would say the biggest danger is we think things are going to come imminently when they take a little bit longer to come. But when they arrive, we'll be in a better place for it. In other words, being early is the same as being wrong to some extent. (laughs) Uh, I think you can be in early and you can experiment, but you've got to measure your expectations, right? There's also that thing about um, tech cycles, right? It's usually a seven-year cycle from initial product to kind of like mainstreaming. I think you saw that with the iPad. I think you saw that with like Bluetooth headphones until Apple launched AirPod Pros. You obviously saw that in computing, smartphones as well. The first iPhone came out in 2008. And then by 2015, like, I don't know what percentage of the population had smartphones. I think that tech cycle where seven years from now, I think there will be a lot more of that spatial computing, metaverse, immersive experiences. And then you have the next rung down, which is kind of like that AR component, which will probably feed into that. And then this more kind of interconnected digital web, I suppose. The other interesting thing I think about, right, is, and it's not that interesting, but it's it's more where things are going. Like if you give a two or three-year-old a newspaper right now, they'll try and swipe it. Yeah, You know, I think it's 56% of kids aged eight to 12 have a smartphone. So a lot of people right now, and I guess in your position as well, are thinking, we kind of know the direction of travel. Like we don't know exactly where it's going to be. And is it going to be Oculus Horizon Worlds? Is it going to be Roblox? Is it going to be Fortnite? Is it going to be Apple's headset that kind of people spend their time most with or immersed in? But we know the kind of direction of travel is just about plotting like where exactly you're going to land and that's very difficult to do it is and i'd add like having a bit of patience with the hardware journey you mentioned some products there the smartphone one perhaps has evolved an awful lot over that seven year cycle you mentioned but some of those products were much closer in terms of style look feel to how they ended up when they started versus something like a virtual reality headset or a mixed reality headset right you know we've seen the concepts as to what might come over time that might just take a little bit longer than the traditional cycle. So I'm still very bullish in that space. I I really do feel like going back to kind of my role and trying to find a way to bring a fan into something and feel like they're present, I don't think that will be too far away, but maybe the full version, what kind of expectations perhaps were when the metaverse started becoming a buzzword, it might take a little bit longer to reach those expectations. I think we'll end on that note. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing at Manchester United? Yeah, I mean, come and join our Collect United journey this season. So check out collectibles.manunited.com. 
So that's collectibles.manutd.com where there's going to be plenty of information. Join us on Discord. Just keep across what the club's doing in the app and social space because there's a lot of fun stuff planned and we're really looking forward to continuing the journey. Thank you so much, everyone of you listening, watching, wherever you're consuming this content. You can find me at Pet Barisha on Twitter or on LinkedIn at the same handle. You can find Sporting Crypto at sportingcrypto.com where you'll find our newsletter, podcasts and events. And just remember that none of what we have said during this show is financial or business advice and this content is for informational purposes only. Web3 is underpinned by crypto and crypto is volatile, meaning you can lose money if you are buying these assets personally or as a business. Where we are recording right now in the UK, the majority of crypto asset companies are unregulated. Please give us a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening, or a like and a comment and some feedback on YouTube if you're consuming there. Thanks once again for listening or watching, and we'll have more Sporting Crypto podcasts for you next time. Mm-hmm.